Well, good morning. You guys sound about how I feel. I'm a little bit tired. Morning, Derek. It's good to see your face over there with the sunshine on your shirt and everything else. Well, it's good to be back with you. Um, last week, uh, we were in Pennsylvania. This one is not going to work. I'm going to have to get a different one. something light. This won't hold that one. We're in Pennsylvania, back with Jessica's family, um, celebrating her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Um, and so that's pretty exciting. It's pretty amazing that God allows us to see pictures of that, of people that, um, that love each other for that long of a period. It's really a demonstration of, of what God's love is like for us. Um, so we were able to do that. Um, I know you guys had a good time at the picnic last week. Sorry we missed that. Um, but let me pray for us, and then we'll jump back into um, the book of First Timothy. Uh, Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you call us into your family and that we get to live a life for you, that we get to, um, to image you to the world around us. Lord, I pray as we look into this book that you would teach us, that you would guide our hearts, that you would open us up um, to understand what you want us to learn. Lord, I pray that your spirit um, would speak today to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're in the book of 1 Timothy, and we've been looking at how God has designed his family, and how his family, the church, is actually to live and to to be structured so that all people, both men and women, would be equally cared for, because he deeply loves and he deeply values people equally. And so two weeks ago, um, we looked at the role of an elder, those who are called to oversee and care for the family. Um, And I want to remind you again that we're asking you for for feedback, to look at the qualifications in the life of Jared Bryant um, and give Ryan and I feedback to see if you see those things or, or if you don't see those things in, in his life. And we want you to affirm or, 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 or not affirm, I guess is the right word. Um, and if you missed that, what those qualifications are, you can go back and listen to that to, and listen for clarity on what those are. But we're asking you to give us feedback. Our plan is to, on June 25th, install him as an elder to join Ryan and I um, in caring for for the larger family, and so we want, we want to get um, as much feedback from you as possible as that. Um, as we jump back into the, first, as the book of 1 Timothy, we come to chapter 5 today, and what we see in the discussion here is, is how, to, how the church is to care for the marginalized in society. Really, there, there's, a, there's many people who are marginalized, who are on the fringes of society, and there's many people who are left out, who are overlooked, who are uncared for, who are abandoned. There's a large group of people in our country and in our society and in our world who, who, that includes the foreigners, the poor, the elderly, uh, the unborn, the lost, the slaves, the orphaned, the disabled. Many, many people um, are, are part of this group. And God has a lot to say about it. And over and over and over again in Scripture, we see God say, my heart breaks for these people. And he says, when they cry out to me, I listen and I hear them. And we see in the Old Testament, he calls calls his people, um, and now he's calling his family, the church here, um, to be his heart to those who have been pushed aside. Whether that was pushed aside knowingly or pushed aside unknowingly. 
And here in 1 Timothy, God is discussing how the church should live in a manner to where all are cared for. And as he's talking about that, and he's talking about how leaders do that, and how they oversee to make sure that it takes care, he includes and makes sure, he says, make sure you take care of this group as well. This people group that's overseen often. And, that, and make sure that that care takes place. And what we see particularly in this passage in, in, in chapter 5 is a discussion of widows. And in their time and their culture, um, we, um, widows were often um, ones who were left who were unprovided for. They were, they were, they were no, one, no one would provide for them and, and no one gave them any responsibility or anything to do in life. And usually the, their whole sense of, of worth and purpose and material possessions were wrapped up in a marriage. And being a widow often resulted in desolation and destitution in, in so many areas of life. And so God is going to say here, make sure you take care of that group. Make sure that you take care of those people. He's also going to say, be wise in who you place in that category and how you administer that care. Be wise in how you do that. Basically, make sure that you're imaging me well by how you live and how you care for those who are in need. And so I want to read these verses and then... Um, and then we'll go back and kind of unpack them and look at them together. Um, but this passage starts really kind of it's how do we respect and value one another? And then it gets into, then it gets into widows specifically. Um, so verse 1 says this, 1 Timothy 5 verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Just a quick note here. Um, we talk about family a lot, that God has made us into the identity of a family. We see here this familiar language used over and over again. And it's purposeful, and there's, this is really a good way to how do we process and talk about how we interact with one another as we think about a family. The idea is that we would, that we would act and we would see each other as brothers and sisters, that we'd see each other as, as mothers and fathers, and, and that this would be in purity, this word purity is key here. I think especially as we think about how do we interact with those who we're attracted to. That we would that we would look at them and interact with them that would be consistent with a manner that's appropriate for siblings. That's very different than a manner that a husband and wife interact with one another. We live in a world and a culture that tells us it's okay to act like husband and wife without the covenant of marriage. And this is one way here of interacting as siblings in purity that allows us to demonstrate what God is like and what we value, that we value what he says more than what we value what we desire or the opinions of other people. And so this, this familiar language is seen here in how we interact as, as a family together. So don't miss that. Verse 3. Um, verse 3 says this, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So basically, he's saying, if there's a, if there's a family to care for this widow, they're called to, to take her in and to care for her. And if, not, if there's not that family, then the church would then treat that woman as a mother or a grandmother. That, that they would give, and then he gives here a description of what, of what a widow looks like. In, in verse 5, he says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications in prayer night and day. 
but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are pretty strong words here. And it's just like a really a strong call for us to make sure that we, have, we take care of each other. This picture of a family of how a godly family takes care of one another. It's basically saying, even those in the world who don't know me would care for their mother and care for those like this in a family. And we ought to, as a family, do that as well. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he said, and there seems to be this kind of sort of a list of, of widows in, in verse 9 and following. And I, I did some, some research on this because I wasn't sure exactly what this was talking about. And as, as you look at, uh, I looked at some historical stuff and, and different biblical resources, and most scholars agree that there was, there was basically two groups of widows. There were those that the church was called to help um, as, as really part of the call to care for the marginalized, and then there was a, another group of widows who were a part of a, a list who, who actually helped administer some of that care and helped do some of the duties of really caring for the church body. These were godly women who played spiritual and practical roles within the church. And they, they would work alongside the leaders caring for other women and caring for other widows and caring for the sick and caring for those people who were in prison. If you remember back then in the day, in prison, if you didn't have someone come bring you food, you basically died. There was no like TV and all those other things in prison. You just, If your family didn't come care for you, didn't get any care. And so they did part of that. They, they, they helped with child rearing. They provided hospitality for, for visitors and strangers who would, who would come into town. They, they, often, they often even maybe played a, a huge role in helping orphaned and abandoned children by placing them in homes of people within the church so that these children wouldn't become slaves or prostitutes or, or end up as gladiators in, in, in the Roman world, which often happened to children who were orphaned. And so this list of qualifications here we see is for these, for these women who would, who would join that extra list, who would join as far part of, part of caring for the family. And it's very similar to what we saw in chapter 3 of those who are, who are called to lead and to care in service of the church family and to assist the care of others. And so verse 9 goes on and says this and kind of describes what this woman is going to look like. He says this, let a woman be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. So, as you know, 60 culturally was kind of recognized as the age of retirement. And so practically also, it was the age where they probably weren't going to get remarried again. And so they're saying, making sure that this is an age thing. So let her be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having been a reputation of, for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And so we're looking for women in this category who've demonstrated these things in their life over a long period of time. And as we get into verse 11, we see that there's actually a call for this, this list, these widows, to actually to pledge themselves to the church, to remain single, to really, to really be a part of this is what they're going to give their life to now. And we see it's, that's why there's not this eligibility for younger widows here. It's not that God is against marriage um, or that it's more spiritual to be single or, or it's more spiritual to be married. This is a practical and wise description here. Remember back in this day, too, that, that, that many w- women actually were widows in their 20s. 
the death rate was very was very low and very high, I guess, and low age, however you say that. Um, and so often that group was this group was set aside for care and for work, and in certain stages of life is what we're looking for in this group. So verse eleven, um, but refuse to enroll younger women, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For we have some already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so they may care for those who are truly widows. And so we see in here there's a lot of, just, there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of words of, of, of wisdom of, of who we're going to place in leadership over these things. It's not a, it's not a hierarchy of, of someone's more valuable than others, but this is, this is a, a particular person, uh, a group of women, that they're going to set aside to help the care for the rest of the marginalized and to care for the other widows here. And what we see in this setting here too is that, that, that as these women are set apart, that God deeply cares for people and God deeply cares for widows and God deeply cares for the marginalized and he's calling his people to make sure that the marginalized are actually cared for, that marginalized women and other people are cared for and he's specifically laying out a group of people that would do that. And as we think about this culture, this was really countercultural to to what would happen in that time period, and it really represents the heart of God, because um, often women were, were were looked down on, or oppressed, or, or seen as as second class citizens in this culture. And so again, in this book, we see God through Paul actually lifting women up, not putting them down, not putting them into a, a space, but actually book, lifting them up and saying. I'm calling my church family to live a different way that would value them and that would care for them and that would make sure that, that all the things that they need in life are provided for. And I think as, as we think about this, in order to understand this better, I want to go back into the Old Testament and look at how God has always called His family to care for widows. Because this would have been the context that, that would have come to their minds as they were thinking through this call. It would have been, was rolling around in their, in their heads. So if we start at the beginning of the story in Genesis, we see the very first humans in the garden. And what we know from that is that God, that God tells us that he created humans to be marked by a trust that all things would be provided for. That he would care for them, that he would take care of them, that everything they needed, he would provide for them. And God loved with intentionality and he, he acted always what was best for them. And we see God, God seeing Adam that needed a helper and so Adam gives him a helper and God provides a suitable helper for him and Eve. And Adam needed Eve and Eve needed Adam to perfectly complement one another, to image God and to complete the jobs that he gave them to care for and to exercise dominion and leadership over all the earth where they would work together in that. And God taught them, and he was present with them, and he walked with them, and he fed them, and he loved them, and Adam and Eve were loved, and they were accepted, and they lived with the reality that they didn't have to provide anything, that everything they needed was provided for. 
They didn't need to doubt. They didn't need to worry. They didn't need to strive for anything. Instead, they got to receive God's love and care freely. As you think about a culture like that, you wouldn't think that trust would actually be an issue. But unfortunately, we know that it was. That they distrusted God and they ate the fruit. They questioned if God really had their best interest in mind. They asked, are you really a good provider, God? They wondered, is God holding out on us in some way? And as I think about widows and I think about marginalized, I think that's often a question that goes through the minds of a person in that position. Does God love me? Is God really a good provider? Is God holding out on me? Why don't I have these other things? My guess is that that often those questions go through our minds as well. Things are not the way that we desired them to be or the way we planned them. And we ask God, do you really care for me? Are you really a good provider? Do you have my best interest in mind? I think those things go through our minds often. So we think about that. What are, what are some areas of life that, that maybe you think that plays out in your life or the life of others? What are maybe even subtle ways that, that this lie that God is not a good provider um, creeps into our lives? What are some ways that happens? If you're new with us, when we ask a question, you're allowed to answer out loud. Um, so, yeah, what are some ways that, the, that role, those questions play out or, or creep into our lives? Yeah, if I don't have the job that I want or I can't find a job, he's not providing for me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good. What else? Can you do a job? Uh, yeah. I'm in sales, so, you know, when it's been like seasons of drought, it's like, well, I'm being a pancake God, like, why are you honoring me? Because when you see other people, like I deserve honor, like he's not providing already for us somehow. But, like, yeah, it's kind of stupid because I have a job and I have. Yeah, that subtly we we play into that often, don't we? Yeah, good. good. Yeah, what other ways? I think relationships is huge. Yeah. Yeah, whether we have a relationship or we don't have a relationship, whether we, we want to be in a relationship with someone or, or whatever those things, that's a big way that I think that we often fall into this lie that God's not providing for us, that He's not good to us, that He's holding out on us. Yeah, good. Yeah. Will God actually sustain me? Yeah. yeah, he says that he is a good sustainer and that he will, but will he do that? Yeah, good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, if it, things don't work out the way that I planned them or I thought I dreamed about them when I was this big or whatever that is, the things that we think about we should have in life that other people have. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this happens too. Right? When we're watching other people struggle in ways or we see other things, we're, well, God, why aren't you providing for them? Yeah, and we distrust Him that way too. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think as you, as you think through this, it, it can actually permeate so many areas of our lives. And, and, and we know as, as a result of, of, of Adam and Eve not trusting God, it actually led to, to them um, being removed. Um, and they, were, they, were, they led to them removing God and placing themselves really in the center of the world, placing themselves as God. And this led to distortion. It led to how they, they viewed themselves and, and really how they viewed the rest of the world. And one, their, one's own self-interest became the highest priority at the fall. I can't trust him. I have to figure this out on my own. I have to be my own provider. And I think we often fall into that same thing. I can't trust God. I need to figure this out on my own. I have to be my own provider. Whatever that looks like in your life. Can I tell you, if we fast forward today, the devastation of that decision and the continuation of that in our lives of us rejecting the Creator and His provision has led to so much brokenness in this world and so much brokenness in our city. It's going to give you a few um, stats. Nearly 16% or 2.8 million people in the residents of the greater Los Angeles area live in poverty. That's more people in poverty in our city than anywhere else in the country. Over 47,000 people are homeless. 28,000 kids are in foster care or don't have homes. As we think about widows, I think I talked about this when we, when we did a series on the marginalized, but um, I think single moms are our modern-day widows. Women with, who, who are with children, who've been left by a man, who are not only abandoned emotionally, but often are often left in poverty with nothing provided for them. And I say single moms make up the highest percentage of people under the poverty line in our culture and in our country. Many single moms go to bed every night with a crushing weight, wondering how they're going to make it through the day emotionally and, and fulfill both the role of husband and wife and mom and dad while trying to provide for the basic needs of their children. 69% of single moms in the U.S. live below the poverty line. That's 7 out of 10 kids living with single moms live at poor or low income. People in the poverty line in our country, 41%, almost half of them are single mom families. In Culver City, it makes up 14.4% of the population in our, in our, 
in our city are single moms. 30% of the children in California live under the poverty line are in Los Angeles County. 30% of all the kids in, in, the, in, our, in our state. And I say there's much brokenness as a lack of a result of trust of God. And the fall is not the way it's supposed to be. And the result of this brokenness of both men and women, both men who have weakened their hearts and say, I don't want to take responsibility for women, and women through abuse and through other things who have mustered up in their hard hearts, I don't need anyone else, I can do it on my own. And these stats are just a small evidence of these things, that each day we turn to ourselves and we turn against God and we look to ourselves to provide. And we strive to do it on our own. And you and I are looking to be the provider. And can I tell you, it doesn't work. It never works with us at the center of the universe. With you or me at the center of your own life doesn't work. There's nothing inside of you that's going to work. It's why if we go back and look at the story of the nation of Israel and how God doesn't give up on the world and he desires to show the world what he's like, we see what, what he, he calls a nation to be a people that would, that would look like what his care and what his provision and how he would care for people and how they cared for one another. And as you read through the Old Testament, it's obvious that God's heart is for the widows and it's God's heart is for the abandoned and God wants people to both see and he tells us to demonstrate him through example after example of his care for widows and for orphans and and judgment really on those who actually mistreat them or overlook them or abandon them. Psalm 68 says this, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He's saying, I am the father of the fatherless. I'm going to protect them. Listen to what he says in Exodus 22 about mistreating them. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. These are some pretty strong words that God is saying about how deeply he cares for the marginalized in our society. And can I say they're also comforting words? That God hears the cries of the widows, that God hears the cries of the marginalized in our country. Psalm 136 reminds us that his steadfast love endures forever, that God is still loving and God is still caring for the widows in our culture. And in the Old Testament, we see this call of Israel was to care for them and God desired to shape them into a nation, into a one big family where, where the widow would be cared for and where, where those that, that, that don't have a father would be cared for. And it was, a lot, it was called to be, look a lot like back in the garden. Israel was to be one family that would take responsibility and to care for women so that the world would know what God's provision looked like. But as a nation, Israel failed. Right? It failed in being consistent in caring for the abandoned. In fact, it's one of God's greatest grievances with them, against his people, resulting in eventually removing them from the land that he had given them. It's one of the biggest issues that he has with them, that his people, that led to, led to his people being captive, the disregard and injustice for those that are marginalized and for the injustice that's done to widows. 
the prophet Isaiah says this to Israel of why they're going to be overtaken and made captive. Listen to this. Isaiah 1 verse 23. Your princes and rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves the bride and runs after her gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore the Lord declared the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, uh, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. God is saying, because you didn't care for this and you ran after your own self and after the things you desired and didn't care for others, you're going to be removed. God says the same thing in Malachi, Malachi 3.5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying all of these people are in one category. These are the people that I told you to care for and you didn't do it. And now my wrath is coming upon you. You see, although Israel was doing a lot of religious activities on the outside, God saw through it because the widow was not being cared for and the marginalized was not being cared for. And God said, this is what I care about. And it's, I'm going to see those, those religious activities you can forego because I can see what's going on in your heart and evidence in your life of you not caring for those that, that are in this category. It's the same thing that Jesus says when he comes on the scene to the religious, the religious day people of that day. In Luke 20, Jesus, in the, Jesus, God in the flesh, stops and tells his disciples what is most valuable. And we see him say to these, to these Pharisees that their religion is fake, that they have nice fancy robes and they pray long prayers, but they're meaningless because, they, because of how they're mistreating and how they're overlooking my daughters, he says. He says, your religion is worthless because you're overlooking my daughters. He says, basically, they're living out of a different scale than what God is measuring. God is, God's way of measuring is not the same way as our own. And God's saying the same thing to us here in First Timothy as he's talking about his church and what we should care about and how we should live. That his church, his family, he's not looking for some religious activity. He's not looking for us just to show up here on a Sunday morning and walk back out and say, that was great, isn't this nice? He's, he's calling us as, a, as an act of care um, to others. And it's always an evidence of our hearts that we wouldn't just do this out of duty and we wouldn't do it without love, but we would be careful to not just look at the act of caring for widows and, and caring for the marginalized, but that we'd look at the heart behind it, that we would do it out of a heart of love and a heart of joy. That as a family, we would consider um, what story we've been brought into. Is it really the story of the gospel or is it the story of something else? Perspective. Maybe we need a heart change in this area because God deeply cares for women and God deeply cares for these people. Why? Because they're His creation and because they're, because they're being mistreated and because they're being abandoned as His daughters. I've got four girls, you know that, and I can't even imagine my girls being abandoned or overlooked or mistreated. I would want to go and quickly bring them out of that situation and bring them out of that problem and bring them back into my home again. If ever someone does that, I would crush them. Think about that. When I was getting, 
when I was getting, um, before I got married to Jess, um, I met her father for the first time in Japan where they were missionaries and um, we were there for Christmas and the Christmas gift that he gave me was a bulletproof vest. Um, this, that's true, very true. And he says, if you ever mistreat my daughter, you're going to need this. Um, and it was in jest, but it wasn't in jest. And I, I, this, is, this is God's heart for these people. It's God's heart for these people. God is a compassionate God. God is moved by compassion again and again in the story. And we see how he cares and he rescues and he redeems. And he redeems them in order to bring people to a right relationship with himself. God has a great desire to protect and to redeem the abandoned. And it's just a small picture of how he wants us to, to care for the entire world. And we get to now be a part of that picture as his family. God desires that as his family, we would be a showcase in his gracious provision for the world of what he looks like, of how he provides. God's hope was that, that his children, that his sons and daughters, when they saw a woman in destitute manner, that out of an abundant joy and gratitude of, of how God has redeemed them, they would run out and care and provide and protect the abandoned. That out of great joy in their hearts, they would, they would be a small picture of his protection and his redemption in their lives. And I want to ask as a family, do we really consider that as one of our greatest priorities? Do we consider it a great priority in our life? Do we love who God loves? James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself sustained from the world. This idea to visit here is not just to check in once in a while. To visit is, is to note an act, active concern, a responsibility that says this person's problems are my problems as well. Can I say this is not something that we choose it's not optional. It isn't something that we can just step aside. This is a high priority for God. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and sent His Spirit creating a family so that day after day we will be acknowledging that Jesus is our Savior and that He's our Lord of our life and that we would, out of that great joy and out of that true life, now living for Jesus, we would know what it meant to be saved and that we would see this as, as actually an opportunity to reveal Him to the rest of the world, that we take great joy and responsibility and commit to what God is calling us to as a family to care for those who are outside of the family who have no family. To care for those widows and orphans and those who are, who are marginalized so that we would see them and, and they would live a life and they would love Jesus the way that we love Him. This is exactly how we see Jesus live, isn't it? We see Jesus, um, when we see Jesus with the widow who places her last coin in the box. We see he sees her. He doesn't, he doesn't just marginalize her. He doesn't say, oh, she's just putting a penny in there. He sees her. He identifies her. He's, he's, he sees her as a woman who, whose worship is actually valuable, that she's actually part of the family. That, and he identifies with her. And, he's, and he teaches us that the gospel changes the way that we see people now. And even at the cross, as Jesus is dying on the cross and, and he looks at his mother and he wants to make sure his mother gets taken care of. 
Jesus is in immense pain and, and bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, but he doesn't think about himself. He's concerned. And, and look at what he says in, in John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. John accepts Jesus' mother into his own home. He accepts her as his own mother, as a picture of God's care for her. Jesus is dying on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, dying for every one of us in this room, making a way for redemption to actually be possible. And he stops and he looks at his mom and he says, I know that you are a widow now and I'm dying and I'm going to make way for you. He says, I'm going to make sure you get taken care of. That's amazing that he stops and does that. That's how much he cares for the marginalized. You know, by, by the way, if you remember the story of Ruth, God takes a foreigner, a widow, and brings her into his family and then chooses her family to be the line on where Jesus is born from. The Savior of the world is born from a, from a marginalized woman out of the line of a marginalized woman. The one who was the lowest of the low, a foreigner and a widow, is the one who would bring about the Savior through her line. And can I tell you, God cares for the abandoned. God cares for the marginalized. If you ever doubt that God is not with you or that God has forsaken you, that he has abandoned you, all you have to do is look at the cross. To know that God does not overlook you. He is in every detail and he's very intentional. And God cares and he doesn't overlook and he doesn't abandon people. God wants to make sure that this is very clear in his son, that Jesus will never forsake you, Jesus will never leave you, and that there is redemption in Jesus. And I think as we think about this call to care for the widows in our society, the point is, is not, well, Jesus did that, and now, now I have to muster up some strength to do it. Now I've got to figure out some way. No, the point is to look at Jesus and say, He is amazing, and He is worthy of worship on the cross, and He became my substitute for my sin. And in Jesus, He closes me with His righteousness, and now He wants me to he take shelter in His wings, and He wants me to find protection in there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out, and I'm going to bring others in to find that same protection. I'm not going to be the provider of the protection. I'm bringing those under his wing as well. And God is saying, look at the cross. I cover you. I know you. I'm with you. I care for you. I'm with you to the very end. And every one of us in this room, I can say, we were forsaken and abandoned apart from Jesus. We are all in need of his protection. We are all in need of the cross. And I want you to hear for sure today that God has not forsaken you. Can I say that's really good news? Just started out this morning about this idea of being thankful and the, the need for joy. If that doesn't bring joy to your heart, I don't know what will. That you are no longer forsaken. That God loves you deeply and cares for you. That he, he sent his own son to die so that you and I wouldn't have to be forsaken or abandoned or be part of the marginalized anymore. In the garden now is once again experienced in Jesus. 
For we no longer have to be anxious or fear or be forsaken or having someone to advocate for us or protect us or provide for us because it's already done in Jesus. Can I say the women and the marginalized in our city don't need a new program to be their provider. They need a savior and they need Jesus. We need to run to Jesus daily and say, I need you to help me. And will you change my heart and give me a love and a compassion that I can't conjure up on my own? Would you change me? Would you break my heart to give me love for the daughters in this city? For your daughters in this city and this daughters in this world. That you would, you would help me care for them and see them as you would see them. Because you saw me when I was alone and when I was broken. And now I want to see them when they're alone and when they're broken. Can I say, anytime we see a woman who's been abandoned, we ought to think about how we are forsaken and how we were once forsaken, once left alone without God. And in a sense, we're no different than they were. We're destitute. We were all destitute without Jesus. And God wants us to take this into a world, not, not of, out of a place of obligation, but out of a place of responsibility that, that deeply comes from, from love and joy and what Christ has done for us. And he wants to bring us to those places where he already is. And I say he's already there before us. And so he wants to bring us into those places that we would be people that, that don't run out of here with this, with this weight or this guilt on our shoulders that think we have to have it all figured out. God is already there. He's already with them and he wants to take us there and he wants us to be a part of his protection and a part of his care and a part of his plan for their lives. And as a family, I want us to call in the spirit and ask him to reveal areas of our lives and areas of our, of, of our hearts where we've replaced the true God with a different savior and that that has kept us from caring for the people that God has cared for. Maybe it's, maybe it's a protection of your own family. I can't do that because I've got to protect or provide for my own family. Maybe it's a protection of your own time or comfort. Maybe your Savior is controlled and you're too concerned about entering into a relationship that would be unfamiliar, or uneasy, or messy. Whatever it is, we need to ask, what Savior, what thing are we put above Jesus that keeps us from entering into the things that are on His heart and the things that He cares about? Maybe we see widows or marginalized as burdensome or maybe unimportant. Maybe we have a judgmental spirit towards them. They're they're responsible for where they are. They're kind of getting what they deserve. They got themselves into that position. Maybe it's the fact that they're different from us. We only like serving people that are like us. I think that often comes into play. I don't know what it is for you, but, but I, I do know this. There is no shame and there is no guilt in the cross. And we get to run to Jesus and ask him to restore our eyes and to give us a new heart and that we would be people that continually worship him in all areas of our life, in everything that we do. And I want us to call in the Spirit and ask him to, to remind us and to lead us as a family to care for the broken in our community to be a people who care for the whole person, financially, relationally, and spiritually. It's why God died, to build his church as a place of refuge for his people that we would, where people could come and be taken care of. Family is our new identity. 
God is our father, makes us brothers and sisters. We've been brought into a new family and we would care for one another as brothers and sisters, as mothers, as grandmothers, as, as, as children of our own. That we be a people who are formerly abandoned, who now get to care for the abandoned. Just like this list of widows that we see here in 1 Timothy, that they would be, they would be women who, who spiritually love and care and who are in that position are now taking the responsibility for others who are in it. That we get to be a part of what God is doing in our city. And so I want to encourage you to pray for those things, to think about them in your own life, and to ask the Spirit to reveal what is He asking you specifically to step into in that, in that area. Our Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that um, because of Jesus, we no longer are abandoned and that we are completely provided for and that we are completely loved and completely accepted. Father, I thank you that, that you um, that you have done that for us in, in Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that you remind us of the good news of that and that out of that great love and joy that you pour into us, we would care for those in our city um, that don't yet know you, that are lost, that are abandoned, that are widows, that are orphans, that are foreigners, that are, that are the marginalized, the people that are often overlooked, and that we would care for them out of great love and that we would... We would share Jesus with them. Ultimately, we know that's what they need, that they would be brought into your care. So, Father, I thank you that we get to be a part of that, that we get to participate in what you're doing in this world and in this city. And I pray that as a family that you would empower us through your spirit to live out even in greater ways uh, this year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.